Well, kia ora, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again. It's been real fun looking at the kingdom of God. This series has been uh, enlightening, challenging, in many different ways, so encouraging. Didn't, didn't Monica do fantastic work last week with the, uh, the parable about the workers of the field? I know for myself, I was just totally fixated with what she had to say. Well, this morning, we're going to look at something very, very simple. And the same theme is the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What is it? Because Jesus is going to describe to us in just 66 words. That's what I'm looking at this morning. 66 words. When he describes to us with two stories, two stories, about what it is that the kingdom of God is all about and talks to us in very, very simple ways, but very, very profound ways. What we've got to realize is that when Jesus uses simple terminology, simple illustrations, he's not doing that to insult us. He's doing that to include us. He wants everybody to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Just this last week, I was driving somewhere and I was listening to the farming show on uh, Talkback Radio. And during the farming show, they said, did you know that this is Chainsaw Safety Week? And we're giving away a free chainsaw. So if you go on our Facebook and you register there, answer the question, and you could be in to win a free chainsaw. And by the way, the answer to the question is, and then they went and told us what the answer to the question was. Now, that wasn't to insult us. That was to include us. And including us allows us to all participate, to all be involved and in this case, have the opportunity to win a free chainsaw. So when Jesus is describing to us in simple terms what it is the kingdom of God is about, uh, he is including us. But the beauty of what Jesus has to say, of course, is that it's not just stopping there at the simplicity. Because as you look at the different layers of what these 66 words describe to us, there is indeed a profound challenge for us. Deeply profound, deeply challenging. And, and very life-changing in every aspect of it. And so this morning, as we look at these words from Jesus, we're going to find ourselves going, yes, I can simply understand it. But then as we allow these words and the weight of these words to impact us, we're going to find that it is indeed very, very challenging what he has to say to us. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and there we'll find just 66 words which could transform your life. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So there we have 66 words, two very simple stories, which sound very, very similar but when we look at them with a bit more detail, we find ourselves looking at them from very different perspectives because that's what Jesus wants us to do. You see, the story of the man who finds the treasure in the field is really a story about a man who seems to stumble upon a treasure. He wasn't on a treasure hunt. It just seems that maybe one day he was walking across the field and maybe he spied off in the corner of the field something bright and shiny, as treasure often is, and went and looked a bit closer and found something magnificent, something incredibly valuable. He then looked around and he thought, wow, I can't steal this, but I can own it. And so therefore he went off, found out who owned the property and legitimately purchased that piece of land, but it cost him everything that he had to do so. Now, many people 
have stumbled upon treasure like this when we look at it from a Christian perspective. You see, what Jesus is referencing here is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is essentially the story about himself, Jesus. And so therefore, what the comparison is being made here is about stumbling upon and finding the person of Jesus. Now, many of you will have stumbled upon the truth of the gospel by stumbling upon somebody you've never met before. And maybe this person has had a profound impact upon you. It's their, their character, their personality, their values, the way they speak, the joy that they carry. And when you look at this person, they become a treasure to you because you're going, wow, I want to have what it is that they have. And as you get to know them, you learn that at the very core of their being is the person of Jesus and their relationship with him. And so in that time, in that moment, you've said, if I'm going to have what they have, I've got to lay down my life and surrender the other things that I've continued to build up in my life as my goals. And therefore, you lay these things down to have the treasure of knowing Christ. This is not an unusual thing to experience. Or maybe you've stumbled upon Jesus because in your life you've gone about your regular everyday business and there have been a whole lot of circumstances that have lined up, maybe in times of difficulty, maybe in times when there's been a huge blessing in your life, and you go, this could never have happened without some sense of divine order being placed here for me to discover. And you stop and you gasp and you realize that there is a God and this God has cared for you, be it in difficult times or just simply blessed you beyond your own understanding or beyond what it is that you would have considered yourself being worthy of. And this extraordinary grace that has been poured upon your life is something that you've stumbled upon and you decide that you now have to have it. You need to have all of it and you're prepared to give it up, give up everything that you have and change your direction in life to own this treasure. And so this story, this parable about the man who finds treasure in the field is very much about someone maybe like me, maybe like you, who stumbled upon faith in Christ and owned it for themselves. The second story is, of course, start, starting at a very different point, not different in a, in a huge way, but subtle enough for us to be able to see ourselves in that story as well. You see, this man was a merchant, a businessman, somebody who bought and sold fine pearls. And so it's not outside of our imagination to, to see him going from town to town, market to market, country to country even, to find out what it is that was for sale in the pearl market. And maybe he would buy pearls in one town and sell them in another where there was a greater desire and a greater need, and he'd make money as merchants do. But on this particular occasion, Having a great eye for the quality of pearls, this man be became enamored. He was so uh, thrilled with what he discovered. A pearl of great price, a pearl of great value, something far superior to anything that he'd ever experienced before. And so what he does is he says to himself, I need to have this pearl. And there's a sense in which he just wants to own this pearl. These pearls mean so much to him he doesn't necessarily want to go and trade it. He just wants to own it because it just means so much to him because of its value and its beauty. We're not told how big it is. We're not told how bright it is. 
but we're told that it was exquisite. And so the man sells everything he owns, including all the other pearls that he had, goes away happy to own this one pearl. Well, that to me is an illustration of somebody who actually knows what they're looking for coming upon the person of Jesus. And um, there's, a, there's a philosopher who passed away uh, in 2010 by the name of Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew was a philosopher who was an antagonist against Christian, um, Christian philosophy, Christian thinking. And in being that antagonist, he wrote prolifically against the things of faith. And in fact, he was the most published philosopher for 50 years in the latter part of the 20th century. One of the books he wrote was called Theology and Falsification. This was one of his early writings. So basically, it's a nice way of saying that theology is a lie. But in the latter 10 years of his life, he had a complete, complete flip over. And he wrote a book called There Is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. But for Anthony Flew, what he said that he did was he followed the logical conclusions of all of his thinking and all of his study. And in following the logical conclusions, he ended up saying, there has to be a God. There has to be a God who is personal. There has to be a God who cares. And in doing this, he completely flipped over on his uh, community, his philosophy community, particularly the atheist philosophy community, by describing that fact that there has to be a God and logic and reason got him there. Now, the reason why I use Dr. Flew as an example to compare to the merchant is because the merchant knew the quality of pearls. The merchant was somebody who understood uh, what a pearl consisted of and what quality was needed to define a good pearl from a bad pearl. And so Dr. Flew was in exactly that same category. He was a person who understood reason, he understood truth, he understood philosophy, he understood religion, and his ultimate conclusion was that God exists, and that became his pearl of great price, to the point where he was prepared to trash his own reputation by writing a book about what he'd learned and completely flipping his reputation from one side of the argument to the other. So these are the things that happen when we are intent on studying and trying to find out for ourselves what is truth, who is truth, and where is truth to be applied in my life once we find it. And in Dr. Flew's case, he was prepared to sell up everything he had on the basis of his reputation to become a man who would tell others about faith in God. So in both cases, what we find is that the men came upon the treasure, but in both cases, they were prepared to sell everything that they had to ensure that they owned the treasure that they had discovered. And this is where Jesus' parables go from being simple stories to something deeply profound and life-changing. I know for myself, when I was first introduced to the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, uh, the minister who shared with me this truth challenged me and he said, Craig, what would hold you back from becoming a follower of Jesus? And um, I looked at him and I sincerely said, look, I, I don't think that I'm in a position where I can give it everything 
I said, if I'm to become a follower of Jesus, I have to be able to give it all over and make this commitment to become a Christian a genuine commitment, not something that I just play around with. If it's to be um, sincere, I have to be able to consider the cost of that. And I suppose in that time, without even really realizing it, what I did was I went away for a week or so and I stopped and considered what price I was prepared to pay for that pearl. And uh, when I was asked that same question a couple of weeks later by the same pastor, Craig, what's your what's your what's your verdict really in respect to following Jesus? I said, yes, yes, Paul, I'm prepared to pay the price to become a follower of Jesus. And for me, that um, that was a life-changing decision. And it refocused my life. It repitched all of my values all around what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So I had to lay down my life on a daily basis to take on the pearl of great price, the person of Jesus. Well, what we do know in Jesus' life and ministry, and we read this in the Gospels, is that Jesus would have regular encounters with people who were considering the price that they had to follow him. Uh, One of the early ones is found in John chapter 3. A leader of the religious group of the day, the Pharisees, uh, a Jewish leader, came to Jesus to question him about his own thinking and uh, his philosophy about the kingdom of God and what it all involved. And the interesting thing about Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus is not that it concluded with Jesus telling him he had to be born again, but at the very beginning, it said that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night to discuss these things, and he was on his own. Nicodemus was on his own. Jesus seems to be on his own. So what Nicodemus is doing is he's testing the waters in respect to this pearl of great price, but he wasn't prepared to drop his reputation in there at this stage. He wasn't prepared to pay the price for being associated with Jesus. He was sort of walking in both camps at this time, and he didn't want to lose his reputation. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that later on in the Gospels, Nicodemus appears again, and quite clearly he is sided with Jesus and sees Jesus as, as, as a prophet sent from God. whom whom they needed to acknowledge and take seriously. So in the transition time, though, Nicodemus was trying to consider what price he was prepared to pay to be seen or to acknowledge or to follow Jesus. In a similar way, um, there's a story about a a rich young ruler, and uh, he comes to Jesus with this intention of wanting to prove to Jesus somehow that he's a good guy. And um, it's, it's not unusual for us to do this. I know for myself, when I was first told about, uh, about the gospel, told about my need to follow Jesus and to ask Jesus to forgive my sins, my, my first response was, but hey, I'm, I'm a good guy, aren't I? I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a murderer. I'm not in jail for dealing drugs or hurting people. I'm a good guy. And I think in this same vein, the rich young ruler turned up to Jesus and said, Sir, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And in saying this question, asking this question, he then goes on to tell how it is that he's served the poor and done all these other good things. Uh, And Jesus said, you've done really, really well. There's just one thing that you lack. You just need to go and sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it said that the rich young ruler walked away very, very dejected. 
and the reason why he would be, well, we can all understand that. It's, um, it's that pearl of great price again, you see. You see, that the simple little stories that we've read, the 66 words, tell us that once having discovered the treasure, both of these men, the, the traveler on the field and the merchant, both went and took everything that they owned, sold it up to buy the treasure that they could therefore have this treasure for themselves. You see, they were prepared to pay a price that the rich young ruler wasn't prepared to pay. And so here we have this profound set of, of words, 66 words, which are challenging you and me right now to the very core of our being. Because you know that the weight of um, this weighs heavy upon us. You see, it's like a set of scales. When we put Jesus in the scales, he should outweigh everything in our lives. The, the Lordship of Christ should outweigh all the other values, all the other treasures that we have. And so therefore, when we look at our reputation, like Nicodemus did, uh, his, his reputation shouldn't outweigh the Lordship of Jesus. When it came to the rich young ruler, uh, his money shouldn't outweigh the desire to make Jesus first. And so we find ourselves in these tensions all the time, don't we? When um, somebody would suggest that uh, being a follower of Jesus uh, makes you a bit of a screwball and you stand there in a neutral place and not defend your right to be a follower of Jesus, you've just said that your reputation is of greater value than Jesus. And uh, when we get challenged about our finances, even to the point of our, um, you know, the cars we drive, the, the homes that we own, the clothes on our back, all of these things define our identity. And we've got to be able to wrestle these through so that this pearl of great price, this person of Jesus, has a greater weight and a greater influence upon all of those things than, uh, than the world would say, or even our own desires of what it is that we want to represent ourselves to be looks like. You see, the, um, the challenge for this, this little set of words that Jesus put to us is that once you find the pearl of great price, if it really is valuable, the value that it has is as much about the value that you put upon it. You see, we can cheapen Jesus' story. We can cheapen Jesus' grace. We can cheapen Jesus' forgiveness. We can cheapen his lordship by not taking it seriously, just by playing games with it, really. I, I do my Christian thing at certain times, but I don't let Jesus influence this. I don't let Jesus influence my relationships with my family, my wife, uh, or my husband. I don't let Jesus influence my relationships in the marketplace with my work. Uh, when I'm on the sports field, I'm just like a gladiator, not a, and I hurt people. You know, there's so many different ways in which we allow Jesus to be Lord. The bottom line is he needs to be Lord of all. The Apostle Paul, uh, of course, has a huge amount to say about following Jesus. And at one particular time, he was in jail writing to the Philippians. And we've got to put that setting in its right place. Firstly, Paul was in jail. So he's already paying a price for what it means to follow Jesus. His reputation had already been taken and uh, he'd been badly misrepresented and put in jail. But when he wrote from jail to the Philippian church, here's a portion of what he had to say. Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So here's Paul sitting in jail saying that everything he's suffering, everything he's struggling with, uh, is worth it because he's got this pearl of great price and that means everything to him. Uh, To the point where he says, even my previous reputation as a leader of leaders amongst those who were the followers of the Pharisees, uh, he said, I count all that as garbage. And um, you know, the vision that comes to my mind these days when we talk about garbage is that you take all of your reputation, all of your good qualities, all of your assets, all of the things that have built your reputation, and you put them in a rubbish bin, and then the rubbish truck comes along, picks it up and flips it over, and drops it into a big pile of stinking garbage. That's what Paul says our reputations are the equivalent of. He counts them all as garbage compared to what? To the price of this great pearl, the value of this great pearl. And in doing so, our whole identity is now aligned with the person of Jesus. So friends, this is a real challenge to us, isn't it? Because these stories are deeply profound and yet super, super simple. So therefore, we really have no excuse. We've got to look at these stories and say, how do they apply to me? What am I going to do with this? Uh, In Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 18, verses 1 to 5, we find Jesus probably describing what a relationship with him and being part of the kingdom looks like in its simplest form. Now let me read to you from those verses. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Amen. What Jesus is saying to us is that the kingdom of God is accessible to everyone. Everybody can understand. You don't have to have some profound philosophical understanding. You don't need to have uh, degrees uh, from university and a whole lot of crazy rocket science to understand what it means to follow God and to know him. And that's the beauty of the message of the gospel, isn't it? That's the beauty of the person of Jesus, is that he takes the simple and he makes it profound. He takes the profound and he makes it simple. Friends, I'm really, really challenged by this message today myself because I find every day of every week since I became a follower of Jesus that the consideration that is put to us in these parables about the treasure and what I'm prepared to sell or sacrifice to continue on this pathway of putting Jesus first is always in front of me. There's always a wrestling match. There's always a challenge. And I know that you'll be challenged by this too. And so for all of us, let's embrace the simplicity of the gospel, this love of Jesus as a child would, and accept what it is that Christ has done for us, to receive the forgiveness that he offers us through his own death on a cross. And 
and invite Christ into our lives afresh today to ensure that we too are prepared to take on the challenge of paying for that pearl of great price, that pearl of great value, which of course is Jesus himself. Let me pray. Father, as we look at scripture this morning, we've found not only you, not only your kingdom, but we've found a mirror, a mirror through which we look at ourselves. And once again, we're challenged, not in an aggressive way, but in a loving and kind way. And as much as we are drawn to that pearl of great price and we look at its beauty and we see all that it is, and that's you, Jesus, you, the beautiful Savior who has given himself for us, that we might live, we might live an abundant life here and we would live ultimately with you and your kingdom. And so God, we thank you for this because it provides us a gentle reminder and a gentle rebuke of what it is that we're called to. We're called to a lordship which puts you at the very center where the weight of your lordship outweighs everything else in our lives. And Lord, Lord for those of us whose lives are out of balance, where the scales are tipped the wrong way, I would just ask, Lord God, that you would cause us to change our minds, to repent, to give away things that are getting in the way of putting Jesus first. And we know these things are many, and we know these things sneak into our lives in a way that, uh, that can surprise us. So Lord, by your grace, open our eyes and reveal what it is that we have yet to surrender to ensure that this pearl becomes our sole focus, the pearl of great price, Jesus himself. Amen.